Welcome to The Gaslighting Effect. I'm Angela, writer, teacher, cult survivor. After decades of being silenced, I'm finally finding my voice. Welcome, listeners. Today we are talking about DARVO, which is short for Deny, Argue, Reverse, Victim, and Offender. And it comes from Jennifer Freed, spelled F-R-E-Y-D, who is part of the Department of Psychology in the University of Oregon. And the reason we're talking about it is because we're still talking about Harvey, who has had lots of indiscretions in the ExMO community as of now. Um, And we're looking at his patterns of behavior and how they fit into this model of DARVO. Today, we have with us Maggie, who has been on the front lines of dealing with Harvey since his predatory behavior has come to light in the community. Maggie, would you tell us a little about yourself? Sure. Um, I am Maggie, and I am an ex-Mormon. I, I I think I've been out about as long as you have, Angela, about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I've never actually joined an ex-Mormon community, really. Uh, I joined the TikTok community uh, almost a year ago, actually. And it has, it had been really great. It had been something that I didn't know that I needed in my life. I had kind of just tried to deprogram and heal from Mormonism without any help from anyone, just sort of tried to shove it down and pretend like it never happened. But I found out that, no, I, I did need some sort of community, people who understood, people who really understood what I had been through and what the deprogramming and, and unlearning and all of that stuff, what it really is like. So I joined the TikTok Exmo community and made some really great friendships and and honestly had a really great time until recently. Yeah, which makes sense. So just to clarify one um, community in this sense, I'm sort of using a little C because I wouldn't say that the ex-Mormon community is a big organized thing the way that the religion is, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's just a little C community, just a gathering of people, nothing official. Right. But like, for instance, when I left the church, I'm on the East Coast. So I found that there weren't people that lived next to me that had any idea what I was going through. Like the people who were not Mormon and had never been Mormon, they had no clue that it wasn't just a religion. And they were like, just get over it, get over it, you know? And then like the people who were in the church, they also didn't understand. Yeah, that, that's been my experience. Um, I, even on TikTok, I'll have some people come into my videos about Mormonism and just be like, it's a church, just, you know, leave. <laughs> it's like, well, that's that's not how high demand religions work, but, but exactly. yeah. Yeah, so like finding people, connecting with people, who understand oftentimes does mean going to people online or people you've never really met before and, and you're trusting them, but you don't really know if you can trust them. You know what I mean? Yeah. You definitely have to take it at face value. I'm, I'm older. I'm 35. I've been doing social media for a long time and I definitely had the phase when I was in my early twenties where I thought this is great. This is a utopia. And time and time again, communities, little C communities will fall apart. And I really went into the Exmo community on TikTok knowing that there was going to be a honeymoon phase. 
and that things would get, you know, like they would chill out and there'd be drama and whatever. Not, I didn't quite expect this. Um, my, so I was raised by, I was raised by a woman who is diagnosed bipolar. Uh, I suspect, you know, other people suspect that <laughs> she is probably borderline as well and probably is narcissist, um, a narcissist, like a diagnosable narcissist. Um, but I do want to just point out that, you know, she only has an official bipolar diagnosis. But when I was a kid, she spent a lot of time in and out of mental hospitals and a lot of police calls to our home. She lost custody of me. It was really serious, really, really bad damaging stuff. And so when I, when I go into communities like this, yeah, I expect them to get dramatic. I expect them to fall apart. I expect humans to be humans, but I don't expect to find my mother. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of paranoid. I expect to find my mother around every corner. That's probably not healthy either. Um, so just out of curiosity, uh, where did you fall in the family in terms of family roles, golden child, scapegoat, mascot? Like, which role did you primarily take on as a child? Dear God, I feel like all of the above. My mother was really odd in that I was her prized possession. So I have a younger sister, but I was the one that she dressed up. There's pictures of me going to kindergarten, just like a typical kindergarten day. And I was wearing a full on, it looked like I was going to a wedding. I was wearing a full on really lacy outfit. My hair was done to the nines. I was wearing shiny shoes and tights. And I thought it was normal for a mom to dress you like that, but that's how my mother always dressed me. Like I was a dress up doll and she would always parade me around and would always talk about how great I was. But on the flip side, whenever anything was wrong, it was my fault. And I mean that in the sense that whenever something happened, like if she behaved badly or maybe she owed someone money and didn't give them the money, she would say, oh, it was Maggie. She did. She did this. I couldn't do this because she did this. She stole the money from me. She, you know, she would just like make things up constantly to blame it on me. So you were the scapegoat and the golden child. Yeah, I have, I have no idea why. And my poor sister, um, I don't think she'll mind me saying this because we've talked about it publicly before, but my, my mother, my mother doesn't care about her. There's really no other way to put it. She will forget her birthday and her birthday is the same day as her mother's birthday. So she, she'll go on social media and be like, happy birthday, mom, miss you. And totally forget that it's my little sister's birthday. We will be having a conversation all of us together, and she will completely ignore that my sister exists, is in the same room. Lost child. So she's the lost child. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting to me. It's so different. And it's interesting because my sister and I have had so many conversations about this and how I feel so guilty and so bad that my sister wasn't loved by, by mom and she wasn't paid attention to. But on the other side, my sister feels bad that my mother is obsessed. And I, I don't use that. I'm not, I'm not over-exaggerating. My mother is obsessed with me. Like if you, if you go into her room, she has printed out pictures of me from social media and oh pasted them on her wall. Oh, that 
that's so stalkerish. She's really creepy when it comes to me, like really obsessive. She actually didn't let me sleep in my own bed. I had to sleep with her like my entire life. And, and that's another thing that she would then tell people when they would say, oh, she shouldn't be sleeping with you. She would say, oh, it's her. You know, she sneaks into my room. She she needs me at night. And I tell her all the time to get out of my bed, but she won't listen and all of this stuff. And mm. So for your for you and your mom, it was like enmeshment on steroids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Very intense. Hard to deny that there's something there that isn't quite right. Yeah. And it's it's weird what that does to you as a kid, because that's what you think is normal. And so when you start to... I'm sorry? Was it just you and your sister or were there other siblings? No, it was just me and my sister. My sister is actually eight years younger than me. And um, I did have my grandparents in my life. But my grandparents, God love them, although they did try to help, they did take custody of me and they did have my mother committed more than once. Um, they excused her a lot, especially my grandmother. My grandfather just kind of went along with it, made a lot of excuses. And I still have a lot of guilt over going no contact with my mom because my grandmother always told me that I had to take care of her. I had to take care of my mother. She was sick. She needed help. It was never her fault, you know? My goodness. Not your job, though. You're the child, not your job. Yeah. And it's, it's still really hard for me to understand that. Like, I still do feel guilt over that. But yeah, so for me, like. My parents, I wouldn't say were as, ex as extreme a case as yours, um, but my father is really the enabler and. I stayed in contact with my mother for a really long time, longer than I wanted to because I wanted him in my life. And it took me a while to realize that in many ways, he's just as bad as she is. Uh, and the enabling, I mean, at this point, the enabling just makes me angry. You know, it used to make me feel guilty, Maggie. It used to make me feel super guilty. But now it just makes me irate, just really angry. You know, yeah, which is probably why, like with what's going on now with Harvey, I get so angry at um, people that are enabling him. Like more so than I am at Harvey, because I'm like, a snake's going to be a snake. It's going to bite you. Even if it's not biting at every moment, you know, but do we have to excuse the snake? Do we have yeah. to excuse it? Yeah, I've had this. What is the I've had the same sort of reaction and maybe in like for towards different things, but I've had like the same sort of reaction to certain things that people are saying that I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. There is a lot of like, a lot of people don't want the drama is what they'll say. Can't you just mm -hmm. ignore it? Stop giving them attention. And people would say that about my mother all the time. And so what would end up happening is, is my mother would abuse me and my sister um, me a lot when I was younger, my mother wasn't medicated when I was younger, so it was even worse. Uh, but she would even physically abuse me in front of people. She would actually, she would physically abuse me in order to make a point or make people back off. And she, she would actually do this with my grandmother too. Her favorite things to do is twist someone's arm behind their back 
And so she would like twist my grandmother's arm behind her back if she was in an argument with her older sister so that her older sister would say, okay, okay, fine. I'm gone. You know, I'm leaving, I'm leaving and drop the argument. And so my mom would do that with me and people would just always be like, you know, just, just make no sudden movements, just ignore it and it will go away. But that left me still being beat up emotionally, physically, mentally. And I really, I get really upset when people say that about, you know, Harvey today, someone was saying that in um, a live that one of the women did was saying, we should just ignore him. He loves the attention. And don't get me wrong. Yeah, he does love the attention. He does. But ignoring him to the to the extent of not speaking out about what he's doing leaves the victims victimized and makes more victims. And we need to understand that. There's a difference between just feeding into his ego and holding him accountable for what he's done. That's very true. And so, Maggie, you were on the Mormon Stories podcast that Don did. Yes. Which I thought the people chosen for that were just amazing, did a great job talking about victim blaming and consent and misogyny in ex-Mormon spaces. It was a little bit, for me, it, it seemed like there was a lot of ass covering. Not by you guys. By Don. You guys were great. By Don. Um, because, you know, I noticed in your phone call with Harvey that he was like, believe women. You know, he was like, no, we should believe women. Like he had an out. You know, we should believe women, except in my case, in my case, it's all a lie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And how often does that happen with these perpetrators? Um, oh, I believe women. I totally buy into all of, I'm a feminist. I'm not racist. Yeah. I, I, I'm an ally. But in this case, in this case, you need to believe me, right? Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of like what I said to Harvey in that, that live phone call that I had with him, where I said, a good man doesn't have to say he's a good man. Doesn't oh, definitely not. say he's a good man. And um, in that phone call, he just kept saying what a good man he was. And that to me was so telling. And I think that when people come out, out and say, I'm not a racist, I, th there's not a bone in my body that feels this way or that way, or I'm a feminist, you know, they're probably not. Like if they have to say it so, so, you know, it's like uh, I was listening to your podcast and you were talking about, you know, the lady death test too much. It's like the opposite of that. <laughs> like trying to convince us a little too hard. Yeah. I think that that's absolutely a thing as well. I was really surprised to be included in Don's podcast. I thought for sure that after the conversation that he and I had had, that I would be persona non grata. But, um, he was open to me joining. And then during the podcast, which I was not expecting, I think you can see the surprise on my face. He apologized to me for not taking um, what I had come to him with seriously. So a little background on that. When the Harvey stuff started happening, Harvey started basically 
almost bragging that John Dillon was on his side. And so I, I took it to John Dillon and I said, listen, this is a big problem in the Exmo community. Um, I'm paraphrasing here. I might get some stuff wrong. I don't want to, I don't want, you know, I, I don't want Don to be like, how, how dare you? But I, I might get some stuff wrong, but. Okay. Uh, so for our listeners, I guess John Dillon is the real name. of. Oh, Don. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I mean, I'm so it's sorry. Public record that he owns all the Mormon stories stuff. So it's not like it's hard to find. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm really great at keeping it cool, I guess. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't, I don't want, this isn't verbatim, but I basically said like, this is a big problem in the eczema community. I would love to have, I would love to see you do a discussion about these problems in the eczema community, not just misogyny, not just the sexual harassment, but I also brought up racism and uh, cause the, the whole Harvey thing started over racism. And mm-hmm. so I, um, I, I reached out to him and I, I sent him some screenshots and he was really defensive. And he said that in the podcast, he said, you know, I was really defensive. Um, and I, I really want to give a shout out to, to Hannah from the podcast um, in the same podcast I was in, because she's really the one who made this all possible. She went to, to Dawn and said, listen, I think you got something's wrong. And here's a list of women I'd love to have on the podcast. And I'd love for us to talk about this. We won't talk about the Harvey situation directly. We'll just talk about the things that we've seen, the things that, you know, we've experienced the things we've witnessed others experience. And that's essentially what the podcast was about. And I, I know that some people are upset that the Mormon stories podcast didn't cover the Harvey situation directly, like naming names, showing receipts. And I get that. Trust me, I get that. But on the one hand, too, it's a business. And, and Harvey goes around threatening lawsuits left and right. He gives them out like an old lady with candy. So mm-hmm. I don't really blame him for covering his butt, uh, Don. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you make a good point. And I did, I am glad. I was relieved when I saw that he actually was going to cover it. I guess I just kind of wish that he would issue a retraction or something from what he wrote on Reddit or something. Yeah, I agree because he was, I think he knows now, I'm I'm putting words in his mouth, I could be totally wrong here, could be misreading the situation. I think he knows now that that was off base. And I think I would hope anyway, that he understands that he had a knee-jerk reaction based on projection. And he perceives himself to be the victim of these quote unquote witch hunts. And therefore this man, uh, Harvey is a victim of a witch hunt. And yeah, we got to be careful about that (laughs) because that's not always the case. It's rarely rarely the case. In fact, that's the case. In fact, if you look at the actual numbers, the actual percentages, there are more men who are raped by other men, then there are men who are falsely accused of rape. Like, by way more. By a lot more. I don't know why we don't talk about that. Yeah. And also, like, false accusations, those happen with every crime. They happen with murder. 
They happen with theft. They happen with everything. And yet, for some reason, we don't feel the need to bring that up every time a person is accused of those things. But those things could just as easily ruin someone's yeah. life, too. You yeah, absolutely. I mean? I mean, we see that actually. Um, we see that with the prison complex. We see how false accusations have led to especially the incarceration of innocent black and brown men and robbing of lives. And yeah, well, you know what I find interesting about this is that he was so quick to talk about false allegations, but I don't recall, and I could be wrong. I don't recall him jumping on the false allegation train with McKenna Dennison when she first came out about what happened with um, Joseph Bishop or whomever. Obviously that was a whole other issue, but when it was against the church, when it was against the Mormon church, it was believed wholesale immediately with none of this. Well, let's be cautious. I think there's a right. level of hypocrisy there. Oh, I agree. and not to say I, what happened with McKenna. I'm sure that that also plays a part in people in the Exmo community wanting to be cautious, and I get that. Mm-hmm. But the thing that interests me about Harvey that that I find incredibly interesting is that we witnessed a lot of it ourselves. And we knew, like, we were, like, uncomfortable with it, but we thought maybe we were overreacting and, oh, maybe they seem okay with it. And so we didn't say anything. But when it started coming out more and more, more and more people were like, you know, I saw him say X, Y, Z, and I just thought, oh, maybe I'm overreacting. And it, usually the women who have been trained mm-hmm. that we're overreacting when we see our priesthood holders doing stuff like that. So I think that that was a real knee-jerk Mormon reaction that was still so ingrained in us. I mean, obviously I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I, 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 this is just what I'm assuming, but um, I, I just, I think that it's really interesting that people want a sort of CSI level investigation of the allegations of harassment against Harvey while completely ignoring the very public harassment that has been going on since all of this came out. Oh, the doxing and the, and the website devoted to getting people's personal information so that he can drag them through court and the very obvious verbal abuse directed at you over the phone publicly, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and the fact that he's triangulating and pulling people in and having them do his dirty yes. work. Yes. And, and another thing that he's doing is he's um, narrowing the narrative and narrowing the focus on one issue. And that would be uh, the the unsolicited vote, photo, which is actually a video. And you covered this in your last podcast, I believe, where you talked about how he's trying to like kind of argue semantics. It wasn't a nude because I was wearing a robe. Well you're wearing an open robe with nothing underneath it. Um, right. And then, you know, arguments about, well, it wasn't a dick pic because it wasn't just the the dick and you can't see enough of it to be that. And just a lot of um, cherry, like a lot of semantics arguing uh, and, and also, but the vilifying of the woman who came out 
with the um, proof, the one that he sent it, the, the video to, it's really interesting to me how we go from being such progressive ex-Mormons right back to super conservative patriarchy at the snap of a finger. So basically this woman um, had an OnlyFans account and she was advertising the OnlyFans account. By the way, she had actually done this with me as well. Um, and she had advertised the OnlyFans account in a private message and said, would you like to see my content? She asked. He said yes. She provided the content. So he's going around telling people she sent me dozens, if not hundreds of nudes. She sent him her OnlyFans content, like a link to the content. This, the reason for this was it's a marketing thing where they send out their free service in the hopes that you'll want to see more and you'll pay for the monthly uh, for, for a subscription. Right. This is really common, not just like with OnlyFans. Um, oh, yeah. Mike really thought that, uh, sorry. Harvey? <laughs> he really thought it was just for him. And I feel kind of bad for him because I'm sure that his ego was really bruised to figure out that it was not just for him, that he was not special. special. And then he comes back saying, you know, there's pictures of me out there too. And, and this woman, she, she is very uh, back. She's very, oh yes. Okay. Well, um, you know, maybe I'll look for them again, not verbatim, but maybe I'll look for them or whatever. Just really not trying to offend or push away a prospective client. Let's be honest about what this conversation was. It was a business transaction. Um, and so he apparently took that as consent, which it was not. Uh, and it's funny because I've, I've shared some of these images. They've been, I've been mass reported on TikTok for sharing a lot of this story. So a lot of my stuff is taken down, but I do have, um, the images elsewhere that people can look at. But at one point when we were discussing this in a chat, uh, a group chat amongst Exmo TikTokers, he asks did I literally have to ask her if she wanted to see the video? And the women in the chat responded in cap locks, yes, yes, you did. And it just, it's interesting to me that he didn't understand or he purports not understand that he needed to ask permission. But the thing is, is she asked permission. So even if he was just following suit, he would have asked permission. But he tried to narrow this in on her and this image for two reasons. One, he's really trying to vilify her. And he's doing it using very old conservative tactics that are so popular in the Mormon church. Um, he's basically saying that she's untrustworthy. He's mentioned so many times that she's a cam girl or that she's doing, you know, nudes. And he's, he's he gets really explicit in the way he... Uh, describes them. He at one point said that he saw more of her than her gynecologist did and that she's spread eagle and all of these things. But he says that, and then he adds, this is a wife. This is a mother. Oh my God. If you could see me, you would see me rolling my eyes. Yeah. I'm and, sorry. and so many people so fall for it. Like how would, how could a wife and mother do these things? Could we, can we honestly trust her? Yeah, see, first of all, when he calls her a cam girl, when he's not calling her by her name, he's 
essentially putting labels on her and he's dehumanizing mm -hmm. her. And then he's putting her on a pedestal so that yes. he can knock her down. So we're back to the virgin whore yep. bullshit. Um, either she's a virgin or she's a whore, which is, again, dehumanizing. Absolutely. But you're right. A lot of people fall for this. They don't see through it. And even if you're a person who is against women being able to sell pictures, you would think that you even someone like that would understand that this is an industry, that it happens, and that there needs to be protections. You know, someone who's a client shouldn't be able to get away with whatever they want to. Someone who sleeps with prostitutes shouldn't be allowed to murder the prostitutes because they're prostitutes. Like, that's not okay. Right. Like, that's, I don't know. That's, ah. Yeah, I made the point with him in the, that chat that um, sex workers can, in fact, be raped. And oh, their absolutely. existence as a sex and worker is not is not a walking consent. Yeah, and and that's the other thing, like implied consent, not is with not sexual harassment or sexual um, assault. Yeah, it's not literally not a thing. The only time I've ever heard anyone use the word implied consent was in my CPR first aid training, where the person is completely unconscious. And they might die unless you do CPR on them. And then you have implied consent. But when it comes to sexual things, nobody is right. dying. And nobody is incapable of speaking. Right. And, and, and if they are capable of speaking, you probably shouldn't be speaking. Exactly. Well, and he's, he's, he's been doing this a lot where so, he is trying to pull out these terms, I think, to make himself sound smart and to scare us because as we know now I feel very late to the party but as we know now he's really into threats and intimidation and he's using these big words and I think they may have worked with him for him at some other point but another thing that he did was try to say that he was going to go to the police and have her um, arrested or charged with revenge porn for showing the image that she did of him as proof. He asked for proof. He triple dog dared everyone to show him proof that he sent this photo or video. And so she provided. Interesting how that has been sort of just left out of the story. Well, that's now. what's so interesting because he keeps changing his story. So before he was saying, and I have him on video and I have um, screenshots of chat messages, he was saying that he that video he sent only showed a real quick shot of his penis. And it's not that big of a deal because she sent him hundreds of photos of her, you know, lady bits or whatever. And, but he only sent her like a half a second, you know, him trying to dimly lit. Now, um, and then he changed the story to actually, my penis wasn't viewable at all in that video. And I thought I sent her a different video, but no, in the video I sent her, it's not viewable at all. And now uh, with the phone call that I had with him, he's trying to imply, although he won't outright say that I tried to get him to outright say, he's trying to imply that he was wearing something underneath the robe. So there, there was no way that you could see 
his penis. So his, his, his story keeps changing. And the reason why I think is because he did in fact go to the cops about revenge porn. And the cops said, yeah, this is the same. Yeah, we can't, we can't do anything because she censored it. And so he had to find a new tactic and his new tactic has been, she didn't censor anything. She just made it look like there was a penis there when there really wasn't. And that's why she actually scribbled it out again, turning this into Jessica and changing the story. He's offered thousands of dollars. He offered me half a million on my, um, on my live phone call with him to describe his penis in detail because he he wants us all to know and he said this repeatedly there's something unique about it and if anyone can tell him what that unique thing is as proof that they saw it in jessica's uh, her video then we could collect the cash prize the thing is is that he oh this is creepy so creepy it's really beyond of normal like i mean the amount of times normal. like on on the i posted this live video um phone call with him on my youtube and i have a few comments are saying like i would say you know we should do a drinking game every time he talks about his unique penis like it, he was upset the, the conversation was almost two hours the man's obsessed with his penis he just mm. would not stop talking about how unique it was and how he would offer all this money if blah 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 and, you know, I think I really think that he's doing this um, as one because he couldn't get the revenge porn. And honestly, I think if anyone actually came out and said, oh, I did see it. Um, here's this. He would then take that and try and get a revenge porn uh, charge brought against her. But I really think, too, that he's winning people over with this tactic because it's now become this idea of how much dick is too much dick in a picture? <laughs> Which is so ridiculous. Uh, weird. I was thinking he was just winning people over with this tactic because people like to victim blame and they would rather believe a man that has a lot of followers and a certain amount of power and a reputation. Oh, absolutely. Than absolutely. Really but there are definitely fit sitters who are making this argument as well that, well, some are saying only this much was viewable and some are saying, well, none was really viewable because it was so dark. And it's just, it's interesting to me that we're having this conversation, not an, a man 20 some odd years, her senior sent her an unsolicited open robe front nude photo of him. Not that, but right. how much of his dick was viewable for how long? And if you can't describe it in detail, was it really a dick pic? Was it really a nude? Was it really, you know, does it constitute harassment? It's so interesting how we're nitpicking the hell out of this. And are we just completely scrapping and forgetting about all the women that he made uncomfortable with his inappropriate Absolutely. comments? And I, videos? this is why in that conversation, I think you listened to it. Um, I, yeah, yeah, it was exhausting. <laughs> I was incredibly exhausted, exhausted after that. that um, I definitely hit the hay after that one. <laughs> but yeah, it, I tried to refocus it on things other than that image because he's so obsessed with it. And 
I think he's obsessed with it for tactics, for completely tactical reasons. So I talked about the other women. Uh, some of them were even in that live. And I also brought up his behavior afterwards. So something that is if you come out in support of one of these women, he will follow you. Say you make a Reddit comment supporting one of the women. He will follow you to other subreddits. And he will start commenting on some of your posts. He did this to one woman in particular who very bravely let me share her screenshots and share her story. She came out in support of Sarah. He followed her to a sexually explicit Reddit, subreddit, and started talking to her about, wow, you know, that's a lot of personal information you're posting here. And just these very veiled threats. He made a veiled threat on his Instagram. He got a screenshot of a private Facebook group for ex-Mormon women who you brought this up. A lot of ex-Mormon women have their own groups because the harassment is really out of control, honestly. So he, he takes a screenshot from this, shares it publicly, and comments about how many users are in that group. And how they're all sharing an awful lot of personal information and maybe they shouldn't do that. These are all veiled threats. So he's not in the group. He has group? he has moles everywhere. He, he's using people, he's triangulating. Yes, and one of the things there was another um Exmo TikTok group on Facebook where we had actually had one of the big things when it was first developed which was only like what a week before this all happened was that we were never to share screenshots because people in that group were not out of the exmo closet they were not their family didn't know maybe their jobs didn't know a lot of these people are in utah he had a, a mole send him screenshots and he posted it publicly he posted it on his youtube channel which has what 37,000 30 something thousand followers um and he didn't blur out the names and he didn't blur out the photos. And when I called him on this in the live phone call that we had, yes, he did take it down. That's a whole other funny story involving Nuance Toe. But um, he did end up taking it down. But he made excuses for it. Like he's allowed to publicly post these people's full names because they came for him. He's just a textbook narcissistic person, okay? And notice I didn't say he had narcissistic personality disorder because I'm not a therapist. I can't diagnose people. But his behavior is just all about me, me, me. How do I cover myself? How do I protect myself? I don't care who I hurt as long as I come out smelling like roses, yeah. essentially. And this whole deny, deny, deny... First, I deny that I sent anyone a nude and I demand proof that I did it. And then he denies once he's given proof that you can see anything. And then he, you know, basically denies that it's really even harassment because it's not a dick pic. So he's stuck in this denial, deny, deny, deny. And then he's arguing constantly. He's like the textbook case of Darbo. Deny, argue, deny, argue. And then yes, I'm the, the victim. These yes, the I'm the victim part is what is. You know what I mean? 
just so it just makes me want to pull my hair out and also laugh hysterically because he is he's, he has all of these people convinced that he is the victim in this and he has tried to dox people he's made videos alluding to people's locations their full names he's even posted full names um he has done he made an entire website against the woman who leaked the photo or the video rather he made an entire website in which he is asking friends and family to come forward with dirt on her. He calls her a skank. He calls her all of these different names in on that website. He doesn't even try to make it seem professional. And he's the one that's being hurt and harassed. And his lies like have they they have no like everything he's saying is basically a lie. He's been talking about another one of the women who accused him of harassment. He's been trying to say, well, she called me on Valentine's Day. She invited me to her house. No, she didn't. And she actually has the proof. He called her. Yeah, yeah he I called her, her on Valentine's Day. He said he was going to come see her. This was part of the harassment that scared her. Makes sense to me. But, you know, he has to sell that narrative because if he doesn't sell it, then he can't convince everyone that he's the right. real victim. In this and then, you know, he, he'll he throw things out like, well, how did I have her number? Because not everyone realized you were this person. We were all friends. We were buddies, you know. And then you started up with this nonsense. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's kind of like so many rapes are committed by people who know the victim. It's kind of like, well, if I, oh, if I raped her, then why did she let me in her house? It's like, are you kidding me? That's not an argument. She, she, she didn't know that you had nefarious intention. You know, <laughs> like, hello, this is not rocket science. But this trying to blame the victim... You know, one of the women who was speaking out, he will not, and he keeps doing these really stupid apologies. I'm sorry, but if you didn't want me to comment those things, you shouldn't be making thirst traps. Right. It's it's the non-apology. It's not really my fault. He actually made a whole YouTube video. That's what he's saying. In which he showed her some of her thirst traps. And then said, does this seem, he literally asked, does this seem like a woman who didn't want the flirting? I don't understand how people can continued behavior and still defend him. Yeah, see, to me, it's like really, really obvious. And I don't know if that's because... I grew up in an environment where I saw this kind of non-pology, slut-shaming, perpetrators pretending to be victims all the time on a constant basis. And so it's obvious to me. Or if it's just because so many people just, they want to believe him. They want to believe him. And they're willing to overlook everything. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's actually a lot of people too, who just don't want to face it. They just want it to all go away. They want Exmo TikTok to go back to being fun. 
And they, there's been so many people who have said, and you brought this up with John, um, with John's statement about let's not bring the Exmo community down. How is this looking for prospective people who are leaving the church looking at, and I'm just like, this is straight out of the morning. How we have to make the church look good for prospective members. Mm-hmm. We can't. And we need to clean up our own, excuse my language. Mm-hmm. We need to clean up our own shit. If we're going to be able to come yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely. And we need to, we need to actually get rid of all of the damaging things that the Mormon church gave us. And I understand that it's harder for white men because they benefited so much. I should say cishet white men benefited so much from Mormonism that giving up a lot of the things that they learned, a lot of the tools that they were given is difficult. And they still think that they're right. Well, how do you give up this idea that you or that you are smarter or your voice matters more than a woman or other marginalized person or that business tactics are the best tactics for human interaction or that you how much money you make and and the ability to make money off of being an ex-Mormon is really the bigger deal or that notoriety is a bigger deal than anything else. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of really harmful, unhealthy ideology and just general view on life to to unlearn when you come out of the church. Like there's just no way around it. And I think a lot of people I I agree. Well, and you know, for a lot of them, it's a blind spot as well. It's really easy to unpack things that didn't serve you well. But if you're not hurt by something, why would you move away from it? It's a good question. So I have a brother, a younger brother, who is a lawyer. (laughs) So I guess I should be careful what I say on here. Um, he's a lawyer who defends insurance companies. Exactly. Need I say more? But he is the golden child. And my parents are so incredibly proud of him for making money and being faithfully Mormon when all their other children have left at this point. So he is the hands down golden child. And why am I telling you this? I don't know. Why am I telling you this, Maggie? Because I'm sure because he is not in pain and he feels like he has a wonderful life and he's proud of his life. And he's, you know, there's no doubt about it that he's a narcissist at this point. I'm sure that he has no reason to ever change. He has no reason to ever look at his beliefs and question them. Because he has everything he's ever wanted. So even though he's very, um, uh, he's not, he's going to unwittingly pass down things to his kids that are going to hurt them. Why would he care? Well, and and not only that, he might not view it as hurtful. It doesn't hurt him. So why would it hurt them? Like, you know. 
<laughs> right. Because, yeah, because he's all about, yeah, exactly. But I should be careful what I say because, you know, powerful people, you don't, you don't want to say too many things right. about powerful people that could hurt you, right? I was asked if I was afraid of Harvey. And the answer is yes and no. Am I so afraid that I won't speak? I understand that he is not well, that he is prone to rage, and that he could do me physical harm if he wanted. Yes. I knew that when I first spoke out. I know it now, and I stand by it. My kids are scared. My kids are old enough to understand what's going on. They're scared. They actually tuned into my live and saw mm -hmm. how he was speaking to me. And I just said to them, we fight. I wasn't fought for as a kid. And so I fight now. And if that means that he's going to kick down my door and give me a what for, then that's what it means. But I, I have the privilege and curse of my trauma response being fight. And for better or worse, that's just what it is. I can't be silent. I won't be silent. Even though I know that he's capable of doing immense harm in various places in my life. It is what it is. He doesn't get in. Oh, man. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate you and your courage and your willingness to speak up and the fact that you have that fight response. Cause you know, my, my go-to is fawn and freeze. So, you know, thank you for being a fighter. I just hope that I can do enough. And the thing is, is, you know, I don't, I, I'm speaking for myself here. I don't want to see Harvey canceled or whatever you know there's a lot of accusations if you just want him canceled you just want to take his crown which is ridiculous because there are no crowns in the eczema community but um i don't want any of that there was no plan to take him down the plan the idea the hope on my part was always inform 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 make sure that people know how to be safe. And I, I would like to point out that although he he is being accused of you know sexual harassment and all of that, he is also known for threatening, intimidating and harassing men in a different way. I have spoken with some men about this. A lot are still afraid to come forward because of what he's done in the past. And they're afraid of what he'll do. As a matter of fact, a lot of what he's doing right now, I think, is to silence others. There were a few more women who were like, okay, I, you can share my screenshots. And then he started with the website. And then he started with all this other stuff. And they said, no, never mind. He's really scaring me. He is scary. He is scary. He's scary. He is. Yeah, he's I, scary. I'm not going to lie. He, he scares, scares me. me. But I'm also, I, I tell him I'm not afraid of him. Uh, because I'm not, but I am. I think it would be, I think it would be really ridiculous. It would be naive. It'd be dumb of me not to be afraid of him. 
But when I say I'm not afraid of you, Harvey, I mean, I'm not so afraid or so whatever that I'm not going to stand my ground with you. If that makes sense. It does. And I know uh, a lot of people are talking about cancel culture these days. My main issue is that I want a space that is relatively safe for people. I understand there's no such thing as a completely safe space. That's not a thing. But someplace that is relatively safe and safe enough that people who are going through the trauma of leaving a high control religion can actually recover without being preyed upon. I don't think don't it's think too, too much, much to ask, to ask but I think it's highly unlikely, unfortunately, me being a pessimist. I think that a lot of times we fall into a false sense of security places and people and don't. <laughs> I mean, I really like more to say. Um, <laughs> like it just, I'm not trying to victim blame or anything. Uh, it's just the sad, sad reality of the world, especially online where there just isn't a safe space, not completely and not honestly enough. Like always, I think we just, we just need to be on our guard. And, but here's the thing. I think that you're right in that we need to still be able to facilitate something, not just throw our hands up in the air and be like, well, it's all dangerous. So, oh, well, you know, let the edge Lords have their way. No, I think that, that it would mean a lot if the bigger names, the bigger followings, the people that people listen to were to stand up and say, no, we're not having this. There's consequences for this behavior. We're not going to sweep this behavior under the rug. We're going to protect voices and people in this community. And I'm not even talking about something totalitarian or iron fisted like we have in the Mormon church. Just, I mean, bare basic so for like with what Harvey did, okay, give the guy, give the guy a warning, give the guy two warnings. And then when he lashes out because he's mad about the warnings, he's gone. Cause that just shows how abusive he is and how entitled he feels. That's, that makes sense to me. Makes a lot of sense. If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining me on the Facebook page called Spotlight on Spiritual Abuse. You can message me there or post. And remember to always trust your instincts. Don't let others tell you how to think. <laughs>